Westside Family Church, good morning. It is so great to see you here at Lenexa, those of you at Speedway and the awesome people who are watching online. On October the 17th, 1781, General Cornwell of the British Army, realizing he had no more moves to make, pens these words to General George Washington. Sir, I propose a cessation of hostility for 24 hours and that two officers be appointed by each side to settle terms for the surrender of the post at Yorkshire of York and Gloucester. And as a result, a lone British drummer boy along with a red-coated officer with a white handkerchief flowing began walking toward the Americans carrying the note. On October 19th, two days later, George Washington signed the final surrender terms. And later that day on October the 19th, 8,000 British troops marched into an open meadow with the French army on one side and the American army on the other side. At the head of the British army was a General Charles O'Hara. Why? Because General Cornwall, the lead general, could not stomach surrendering before George Washington and claimed that he was sick that day. As the British soldiers took uh, their position on the open meadow and were marching forward to surrender, they chose to turn their heads only toward the French soldiers and refused to look at the American soldiers, upon which American Lafayette instructed the American band to play over the British band with a rendition of Yankee Doodle. Yeah. The British laid their weapons down before both the French and the American troops as their band appropriately played the world turned upside down. And as the terms of surrender instructed, British General O'Hara turned his sword over. But he decided to turn the sword over to the French General Rochambeau. When he tried to do that, General Rochambeau pointed to General Washington and said, you need to surrender the sword to General Washington. So he humbly walked over to General Washington and Washington refused to receive the sword and instructed him to give it rather to his second in command. And that ended that day, the Revolutionary War, the Battle of Yorktown, where Americans gained their independence and their freedom. The surrender flag. We first take note of the surrender flag in China 
during the Hans dynasty, somewhere between AD 25 and AD 220. Yes, during the time of Jesus. We see it first appearing in AD 109 in the Roman Empire, where they used the surrender flag to indicate that they were done. Before the surrender flag uh, in Roman Empire times, the soldiers who were surrendering would simply take their shields and put them over their head. But it's been replaced now with the tradition all around the world of the surrender flag. And here's the deal. It is difficult to surrender. It's difficult to surrender. I looked up the definition of surrender. (laughs) Here's why. It means to cease resistance to an enemy or an opponent and submit to their authority. Anybody listening to my words love to submit? Anybody, anybody. Not me, man, not on your life. And you know, here's the deal. This is how many people feel about God, that he is their opponent, that he is their enemy. And so they resist to surrender. But the truth of the matter is, he is not. And today, as we continue in our series, Unshakable, looking at how the church was birthed and grew through the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament, we're going to see a man today who initially saw Jesus as his enemy, but later discovered quite the opposite. And eventually, he's going to wave his surrender flag before him. The man's name is Saul, and we first run into him in Acts chapter 8 and 9. If you brought your, your unshakable book, hold it up high so I can see. Everybody, yeah, I'm taking attendance. Yeah, there you go. That's a pretty good number. It's a discipline. You got it. I want you to turn to the page for unshakable surrender so you can take notes. If you did not get an unshakable book, those are available for you after the service. You're going to want to take a look at it as it lays out the vision of what God is calling us to in the 21st century that mirrors a lot of what we see happening in the first century. Now, in Acts chapter 7, uh, we see uh, this man, Saul. He is cited holding the cloaks of other Jewish religious leaders as they stoned Stephen to death for his faith in Christ. This is the first of many Christian martyrs. As we turn the page to Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, we are told this. Saul began to destroy the church, going house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. Saul definitely saw Jesus as his opponent, as his enemy. Now fast forward to Acts chapter 9. The story continues. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if they found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on the journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The response, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Yeah, right, he is. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. He's like, I don't want this assignment. Basically, Ananias says back to Jesus, what you talking about, Jesus? Right? What you talking about, Jesus? Because Ananias in that moment is being asked to surrender his fears before the Lord. The story continues. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell off from Saul's eyes and he could see again. Then he got up and was baptized. On that day, Saul waved his surrender flag to the Lord. He gave his life over to Jesus and his authority. Matter of fact, later in his writings, he would refer to himself as a slave to Christ. And it is here that Christ gives him a call to take the message of the good news that leads to abundant life now and eternal life forever to take it to the Gentiles. Up to this point, it's been pretty much just the Jewish people, but he has been called to take it to the Gentiles. Now, if you're new to the scriptures and you don't know what the phrase Gentiles means, it essentially refers to any other race other than Jewish people. Unless I miss my guess, that refers to most people listening to my words today. So it is because of Saul's surrender that Gentiles like us have ultimately heard of the good news of life. Would anybody like to say, thank you, Saul? Thank you, Saul. Yes. Saul, later to be called Paul, went on to be arguably the most significant figure in the rise and spread of the church and the gospel to the ends of the earth. As a matter of fact, we are told that he planted 
10 churches in his lifetime. He came alongside of literally hundreds of churches and strengthened them. Listen to this. He ended up writing 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And as a result, thousands, now millions, now billions of people, not only Jewish, but Gentiles have come to faith in Christ. Paul lived what we would call an unshakable faith demonstrated by an unshakable love. Oh, what God can do with a surrendered life. As we turn to Acts chapter 29, which by the way, doesn't exist in your Bible. Acts 29 is the story of our lives. What if this were said of us today? That we too, like Paul, lived an unshakable faith demonstrated through unshakable love. That we too would be surrendered to Jesus. And some of you, maybe new to this, are saying like Ananias, what you talking about, Jesus? Right? Jesus is calling us to surrender our very soul to him. Like Saul did that day on the road to Damascus. And for some of you, that is your calling today to finally give it up, to finally realize that you have no moves left and it's time for you to pend the terms of surrender. Not to your opponent, not to your enemy, but rather to your friend, to your savior who wants to give you life abundantly. And then he is also calling us as a church to one of the most unique missions that I have ever been a part of in my 34 years of doing this work. He is calling us in this next season not to focus on our numerical attendance, right? That's all I've ever been taught. How to get more butts in the seat right? But God's saying, I don't want you to focus on that, but rather I want you just like in the book of Acts, I want you to focus on the family of God belonging together in my name. I want that same group of people to be growing more and more each day to look like me and to act like me and to think like me. And then out of the overflow of what I'm doing inside of them, I simply want them to meet the people around them at their point of pain. I want you guys to scale love and leave the attendance up to me, just like the first century church did. Acts chapter two, verse 47, it says, after the first church did these exact same things, it says in the last verse, and the Lord added to their number daily, those are being saved. So we have no strategies to grow the numerical numbers of our church. All we lay before you is a strategy for believers in Jesus Christ to come together as a community, as a family, and simply have unshakable faith demonstrated through unshakable love to people who find themselves in need. And the truth is, I don't know all of them. There are people in your sphere of influence that only you know that some of you have written their names on a Jenga block. And that is who God is after. So 
This is our calling. And when we look at any single one of us, the mission seems to be overwhelming. But whenever you realize that Westside Family Church comprises 15,000 soldiers, and that if we were to get 100% engagement and we could mobilize 15,000 soldiers, we can make some hay for Jesus. Can I get an amen? Yeah, that's what we're about. So today he's meeting each one of us on the road to Damascus and he's calling us to himself. Just like with Saul, God wants us to wave the surrender flag before him. Now, before you do it, some of you got ahead of me. Before you do this, I need to do a little buyer's beware if you decide you're going to do this. Principle number one, when I surrender to God, there will always be opposition. Jesus didn't hide this. He said, if you follow me, you're going to experience opposition. First, it's going to come from your true spiritual enemy, Satan himself. He doesn't like that you switch teams. And because you switch teams and you're now working for the savior of the way, he's going to take more notice of you. And he's going to trip you up and he's going to confuse you and he's going to challenge you. He's going to ridicule you. So just be aware of that. But not only are you going to receive today opposition from your true spiritual enemy, you're going to receive opposition from the culture we live in today. If you had surrendered your flag to Jesus back in 1974 when I did, no big deal. Just watch out for Satan. He walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But today in 2023, he has got, we got some other enemies and it's called the culture. And if you're going to wave your surrender flag to Jesus, you must live by the truth of his words. And guess what? The culture doesn't like the truth of Jesus. They've turned it upside down. And if you're going to live it, not only when you're in this safe place, but when you're out there in the world, you're going to receive opposition. Aardvark. Yeah, maybe you weren't here last week, right? So you expect me, yeah, you expect me, and I expect myself as a surrendered follower of Jesus to stand for the truth even when it's not popular. Not to do it without love, not to do it without grace. No, 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 that's not following Jesus. But to speak the truth in love. But I get nervous, I get scared. I'm an agreeable person. I like people to like me, right? But my call is to speak the truth in love. And whenever I'm feeling weak and don't want to do that, we got a little code word. So I'm letting some new people in on this. It's aardvark. And whenever I say aardvark, okay, let's try it more time. Aardvark. There you go. But here's the deal. It's not just about me because there's one of me, but there's 15,000 of you and you're going to be out there where it's super dangerous. And I want you to know that I have your back. So I dare you to say aardvark and watch what I do. One, two, three. Boom! You have my back. I've got your back. But here's the good news. It doesn't stop there. When I surrender to God, I am winning. Here's a paradigm shift for people. They don't realize it. And it keeps them from surrendering to Jesus for way too long. And that is this, that whenever... Uh, we discover the will of God, you will always find victory. Everything that is the will of God equals victory. So when you align your life 
and surrender your life to the will of God, every single aspect of your life will end in a victory. Does anybody like to win? I like to win. And so the secret sauce is to surrender to the will of God and you will be a winner. Yeah, that's what happens when you surrender. And number three, when I surrender to God, not only do I win, but others win. Why? Why? Because God is going to radically shift your life from a focus on yourself. What a miserable way to live. To a focus on other people. So you ask the question, who are the other people? Well, specifically for us, it is the people inside of this congregation who are hurting. It is also people outside in the city that we live in, right in the heartland of the United States of America and even people beyond that. God gave us this vision several months ago and we have been faithful to it even though it's very different for me. It's not exactly what I've been trained to do. I don't feel comfortable with it, but I wanna follow God's leading in all of this. And he gave us a clear vision to come alongside of people in their point of pain, particularly their mental and emotional stress that has come from the last couple years and the upside downness, not only of a global pandemic, but of our culture just going literally ape crazy, right? And then last Thursday, we receive a, a, a report, a national report, maybe you were here last week when we talked about it, where they listed out the states in order of those states that struggle the most with mental health issues and those states which have the least access to help. Now the state that has the least mental health issues as well as has better access to help with mental health issues is the state of Wisconsin. And you say, why? And I have no idea. Last week, I, I, I postulated that it's possibly that um, there's some medicinal value of wearing a block of cheese on your head. I have really no idea why they are. But when it came to scroll down to the bottom of the research to number 51, 50 states plus Washington, D.C., I was expecting to see Washington, D.C. or California or New York. But state 51 is the state of Kansas. We are number 51. We struggle the most with mental health issues and we have the least access to care. All around the world, people use the phrase, you're not in Kansas anymore. And that phrase internationally means, you can look it up, it means my safe place. The state which we live in, in the middle of this great country, can no longer be referred to as a safe place. And so God has confirmed for us that we're on the right mission by telling us we want you to see this. And so we're gonna basically take the care ministries that we already have and we're going to grow them. We're gonna put those care ministries up. It's gonna take just a second for them to run. Here we go. These are things already in place. Ready? Foster and adoption, family support, benevolence, care groups, counseling, and prayer. And we're gonna take them to another level by boom, blowing the ceiling off of them. 
That's what God's calling us to do. But not only that, but God is inviting us to stand up what we're calling area communities. Area communities are basically an opportunity for you to join in with a broader group of people that live in your area. And uh, we've designed them around elementary schools. And so starting in January, we'll start our first one and we'll continue to start them until it comes to your area. We're gonna put up a map and show you the different uh, elementary schools that we are initially targeting around our Lenexa and Speedway area. And one's gonna be coming to you soon. It's a collection of people who live around an elementary school and what we're going to do is organize and mobilize you to be the hands and feet of Jesus on that mission field, to be soldiers for Jesus Christ. On Friday night, we had our advanced commitment night and we had 142 families go out ahead and make their initial commitment. It was such a powerful evening. After the evening was over, um, a, a couple met me right down here in the front and the man said to me, can I hug you? And I said, sure. And so he gave me a hug. And upon hugging me, he began to cry. But it wasn't just a little tear. It was that shaking, convulsive cry. And he said, you have no idea what this is going to mean. When he collected himself, he basically said, I serve on national and international boards that deal with economics. And what we're talking about as a church is monumental. And he said, I've been in numerous churches that have opened up the book of Acts and they've talked about Acts chapter two. But he said, I've never seen a church actually put a strategy to actually do it. And that's what we're going to do because that's what he's told us to do. But it's going to go deeper than that. Inside of these area communities are already what has formed and just had a new family uh, relatively new to the church that there's not one in their neighborhood. And so they said, yes, I will do it in our neighborhood. Just today, another one started. These A2 or Acts 2 communities that are inside of an area community who are on a smaller basis have the mission of being uh, belonging together and growing to become more like Christ and then simply taking it out of the overflow and wrapping God's family around somebody in need. And then it gets even a little bit more personal than that. It's one of those people who decides to go into the elementary schools that we're partnering with, the one closest to your house, and sits alongside of a third grader and helps them to learn to read. This is where it gets deeply personal because we know the stats that if you cannot read by the end of third grade, you're statistically, uh, the chances of you graduating and going to prison are the highest. It's the number one predictor of graduation and incarceration. But for those of you who belong to an area community in your area, you will say in the name of Jesus, not under my watch, this third grader is going to have a chance not only to read, but possibly to come to know Jesus Christ. But it goes even further than that because outside of this, we have the lost, the last, the least, right? that we have been committed to. And we show a picture of the lost, the last, the least uh, in Kansas City, like Avenue of Life and Advice and Aid and Christina's Place, these places that we're supporting. The, the mission field has only gotten bigger with all of the trouble that has come to the state of Kansas. And God is asking us to come alongside of them and in some cases upwards to double or triple our support to them. And through our unshakable generosity, we will do just that. But it's not just here in Kansas. 
It is around the world. And we have partners all around the world through our One Life program we are, where we are personally sponsoring over upwards to a thousand kids in places like India and South Africa and Thailand and uh, East Asia and Guatemala where we're sponsoring these children and we're planning churches engaged in community development and we want to continue that and yet see it grow. But not only that, you're probably aware of this, but you can't see them right here, right? But I hear for them all week are amazing online people. Right now, let's give it up to our people that are watching online. They're not just watching here in Kansas, but they're watching all over the world. For example, we have Heidi from Hawaii. Yeah, she leads a Facebook group from Hawaii. I'm going to go visit her this afternoon if anybody would like to join me. Yeah, yeah. We have Mike Donaldson, who is one of our leaders in our online community. We have Mike and Bev Riley, who I've known for over 30 years that live in Alito, Texas. And not only are they members of this church and generous to this church, uh, but they are also expressing the love of Jesus to the people right around them. Our online community has the opportunity of reaching into places beyond Kansas City for where they live. We have Pastor Jason Morris. Anybody remember Pastor Jason Morris? Don't you love that guy? He's still watching online. And I hear from him every other week about how he is expressing the love of Jesus in Dallas, Texas, and staying connected to our online people. And then we've got uh, Benai who lives in India, who's a member of the Westside Family Church. He doesn't have in India, they don't have in India uh, unlimited data plans like we do. And so he is careful every single week to make sure he's saved enough data for Sunday. And he goes to the top of the highest mountain he can find where there's good reception and he joins the Westside Family Church. And when he is done, he goes to be the hands and feet of Jesus in India. Now, one more story. Her name is Pua. She's a member of Westside Family Church through our online ministry. And today at our Speedway campus, she's coming to the campus physically to get baptized. Come on, come on. Tell me that's not a good thing. That's a pretty good story, right? We have many, many people who watch. As a matter of fact, 1.1 million minutes watched on Sunday morning so far uh, year to date. That doesn't include the people who are watching during the week. But we have a total of 879 households who are members, households. Uh, That is 106 new families this year, which is 16% increase over last year. We have 29 salvations so far in our online community. And uh, during the week, listen to this, we have 40 deaf in the community who are watching online because of our wonderful interpreter, Becky, here. Let's give it up for Becky right now, right? (laughs) Becky in closed caption, 40 deaf, the most unreached people group in the world is the deaf community, and Westside Family Church is committed to wrapping God's family around them. And... uh, That is quite amazing. I have been super inspired and encouraged that we can actually do this, not only because God's a big God, but because I see Westsiders surrendering to him. And it's only gonna be through a surrendered heart that we're gonna be able to pull this off. I want you to take a look at one such story. Thank you. 
We've taken steps over the last several months, obviously, and have been shown a, a lot of things, but we're still looking for, for the next step. There's always a next step. Um, and, you know, with, you know, Elena by my side for as, as long as we've been, um, you know, she's kind of been somewhat of a rudder, you know, and, and straight and keeping me straight uh, as far as um, not getting too far off course, um, but not being too strong, um, not being too forceful, but being very patient. Um, and so uh, it's been a great, great journey together. Um, and it, uh, it's still going on. <laughs> His job was consuming. It has to be, because he's infectious disease. He, he has to oversee so much, and it was such an important role that I think when you have a position like that in the world, it's hard to submit and say, God, I need your help, when he has to make all the decisions and has to take care of all these details. There's no place to submit because okay, I'll pray to you, but what are you really gonna change? It's all in my head, it's my teachings, it's my learnings. And so he's been going off of himself. With that position, when he told me um, that he was gonna get baptized, and we were sitting, we were standing in the kitchen, and I was like, he's taking a step towards God, instead of saying, God, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? What do you have for me? He was like, I have something for you, take me. You know, I felt stuck, like felt stalled, and I didn't know exactly what the next step was. Um, but I remember I was I was making coffee, and I was putting toast in the toaster, and I was like, I think I need to be baptized. It was a little bit more peaceful after that, um, and after a, a couple of months of, of reflection, I was like, you know, I need to take some time off and really figure out where I'm supposed to go, what I'm supposed to do. Um, um, yeah, because I just felt like I was not in the right place, but I wasn't in the wrong place either, so I was just kind of kind of lost. So I wanted to back off, and I decided to take some time off. I, uh, Elena was a Bible study and Derek Nunley came up to her and said, hey, is your husband around? I need to talk to him. And, um, you know, Derek is the missions pastor and he asked me to go to Mexico with him uh, to maybe scope out a possibility for Westside to do a, a medical mission. And I was like, wow, that was fast, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, so we we made that trip in June and, and it, it's a uh, it's a life-changing experience. I think it's going to be a great opportunity for a lot of people um, to just to see what we can do and where we can go. So that that's one thing that's kind of been added since I've kind of stepped away. I'm trying to find my place now. Where does he want me to be? You know, and I'm trying not to get in his way. You know, because I'm always one who will second-guess things, and, and uh, I want to do the right thing, but I want to do it his way, but I'll get in the way, so I try to stay out of his way to allow him to guide me. Um, but there is a lot of, uh, a lot of questions, a little anxiety still that, that comes into play, so. If, you, if you're looking for a lightning bolt, um, then, yeah, you got to quiet your mind. And I don't know necessarily if it was a, a lightning bolt, but it was a, 
It was a soft whisper. It was a soft whisper. Because he quieted yeah. his world. Yeah. And then he could hear. So that's it, not an easy thing for everybody to do, you know, and, and you got to respect people where they are. Um, I was fortunate that, you know, I was able to step back from my position for a little bit. And I, and I appreciate that a lot of people aren't able to do that. Um, so a lot of people, well, it's easy for you to do, but, you know, um, but there's got to be other steps that people can take um, to cut a few things out, maybe that they can quiet their world a little bit so they can hear that soft voice. Um, I used to laugh at that soft voice, like, I'm going to hear a soft voice, you know. But you do. <laughs> so I arrived um, here a little over four and a half years ago. And uh, one of the first evening dinners that I did with uh, uh, members of the church was with the Pinkertons and with the Mackays. And if you know the Pinkertons, he's a pain doctor. I mean, they, in, you know, five seconds with them, they're all in, man. They're like surrender people, man. They got one in every pocket, you know, they're like all out. And so we went to dinner with the Mackays and I just assumed as an infectious disease doctor hanging out with the Pinkertons, you know, he was all in as well. He wasn't. And this dude waited out for four and a half years that I was here giving it all I got and he's holding out. But we finally got to a place on his Damascus road or like general Cornwall. When he realized he had no other moves to make, he takes out his pen and writes a note to general Jesus and said, I'm all in. And maybe that's what your unshakable surrender looks like today. You've been holding out, maybe some of you longer than Glenn. How could it be? But you have been. And today is the day you wave like Saul and Glenn, the surrender flag before Jesus. Say, take me. I surrender to you. For us as a church in this unshakable mission, uh, it, in, it involves 100% commitment in what God is asking us to do. And on Friday night, we had our advanced commitment night which is really cool because uh, Glenn not only is heading up our medical missions work in Mexico, uh, but he was at uh, the advanced commitment night as an insider. And I watched him make his commitment. And his wife, with tears in her eyes, said, he is so on board. She said, I was thinking of a small number. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. We're doing way more than that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So on November the 20th, we will have our Commitment Sunday, and uh, we're going to be inviting you with a will, willing and joyful heart out of what God has given you uh, to fill out one of these commitment cards. If you're a student, the blue one, or if you're an adult, the white one, and uh, to bring it to that event, and it's going to be a wonderful worship service. Yeah, yeah we're going to be inviting you to give your life, to surrender your life 
in, in serving people, but also to engage in unshakable generosity. And I just want to say that, because uh, some of you have been involved in other churches and we do it a little differently here. Some are saying, okay, I've got my tithes and offerings that I already give, and this is over and above that. And, and the answer is no. The answer is that you just take the total number, your tithes and offerings and whatever else you think you're going to be able to give over 23 and 24, and you indicate that on this card and you turn that in. Our goal uh, we believe with the numbering that we've done that we need $25 million. Yeah. I don't have $25 million. And maybe you don't either. But collectively, if everyone does just what the Lord invites you to do, we'll get there. And Satan, watch out. The gates of hell will not be able to prevail against Westside Family Church. Can I get an amen? So as we enter into a time of worship, uh, you should have received or picked up one of these surrender flags. We have them in the back if you want to go grab one. And I'm going to invite you during the worship just as a signal of your commitment to Jesus to just proudly wave it. And then I'm going to also invite you to keep this flag with you somewhere in a prominent place, at least over the next 30 days. And every day for 30 days when you see it, you just whisper a prayer of surrender to Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Father, now we stand to our feet and uh, we worship you. And in that worship, we, we simply surrender our life to you. Receive our worship today in the name of your son. Amen.